Welcome to the Butter Chicken Podcast, hosted by DJ Shirai and DJ Juicy. Ooh. We focus on the stories of individuals who are making great impact in society and culture. The Butter Chicken Experience is well-cooked, thought-provoking conversation. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy the vibes. You got the culture? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Queens. Make some noise for yourselves one time, please. Bra, 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 Queens. Queens in the building. Yo, real quick, I, I was talking to a few people. There's people that came here from Boston. Oh, for real? Yeah. Damn. Thank you for Via coming. Oklahoma. Someone's from Oklahoma here. Sheesh. We got people from Jersey. Okay. Uh, so people really traveled, which is really incredible. But quick question. Um, if you're... From Queens, if you live in Queens, if you you born in Queens, make some noise one time. Yeah, I heard it with the yeah. Yeah. So for those of you who are here with us for the first time, we call this the Butter Chicken Podcast. Uh, we're a podcast available on all platforms. My name is DJ Sharad. I am DJ Juicy, and we are the Butter Chicken Boys. We also own an agency that puts on some of the best events in the city. And both of us are kids that were born to immigrant parents. We're both born in Queens. So when we come back to Queens, he actually still lives in Queens. I don't. But um, when we come back to Queens, we really feel something special. Uh, Queens is definitely the hub of many South Asian families. And having a restaurant like this in Steinway is super important. If you look around at the art, and the menu and the people that are behind this thing, it's something that's super special and super incredible. So before we really get into this podcast, I want to big up the management and the team here at the Gully NYC for hosting this. Thank you, guys. Incredible event. Thank you, thank you. I've been here a couple of times. Juicy's been here as well. Yep. Uh, and it's, it's absolutely incredible. If it's your first time here, make sure you spend a lot of money here. Order the food. Butter chicken mac and cheese slamming. Well, it's chicken tikka mac and cheese or is it butter chicken mac and cheese? Tonight it's butter chicken mac and cheese. Okay. <laughs> so um, what we like to do with Butter Chicken Podcast is tell the stories of individuals making impact in culture and society. But before we do that, I ask everybody, if you can, silence your phones because this is a live recording. So we record this live and in a few days it's going to go up on SoundCloud uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, and all, basically all your podcasting platforms. Mm -hmm. so, so it's important that we silence the phones if possible. And if your phone rings during the event, because this is a small, confined space, I ask you to just hold your phones for like 45 minutes. This is going to be a quick interview, but we want to make sure that there's no talking throughout it. The wait staff is going to be coming around if you've ordered food. So we got to just try, try to keep it as quiet as we can because our team is recording our boy DJ Avi is recording Uzi's playing the tunes all day and I think we're just about ready to get started before we get started one time can you guys just take out your phones everybody have Instagram no. if you have Instagram open up your Instagram please if you don't download it <laughs> and sign up right now I want you to follow Butter Chicken Podcast <laughs> make sure you follow the Gully NYC Make sure you follow at half and half. Most of you are probably already doing that. 
and make sure you follow Brown Girl Mag. We're the partners that continually put this stuff on and we really do it for the culture. We do it for our people and we really want to tell these stories and in order to continue to flourish, we need to make sure we have as much support as possible. So while people really look at it as someone following, we really look at it as supporters. You know, the more supporters we have, the more places we can take these podcasts. So it's super important to us. Um, real quick, without further ado, I think, Juicy, you want to give a little background on our super, super guest of honor today? Yeah, but before we do that, um, I would be remiss if I didn't mention we lost uh, a, a special person this week um, in our South Asian community. Um, Roger Rose was a singer-rapper who passed away. Um, battling um, mental illness and you know unfortunately we lost him this week so if we could just have a moment of silence for him rest in peace thank you guys all right guys without further ado i'm going to lighten up the situation a little bit more um our guest of honor here tonight most of you know her her name is hafsa khan she goes by half and half how about a nice big hand for her Midwest Maharani, come through. Yo, y'all could do better than that. We need you guys to make some noise one time. <clears throat> Hafsa was born in Karachi, Pakistan. She migrated to the Midwest at a very young age. She grew up in Detroit, and then she uh, moved to Ohio afterwards. She went to OSU. Um, and she is an ama amazing artist and an amazing person, and she's the homie. And this is so cool because I feel like we're just chilling in the crib right now, and like everyone's just around lounging. So super, super casual, no formalities here. We're all brothers and sisters here tonight, um, and we got our sister Hafsa with us. So one more time, give her a big round of applause. We're gonna jump right into it, Hafsa. Hi. Oh, we gotta turn your mic on. Hold up. Check. Hi. Welcome. Welcome to the Butter Chicken Podcast. Um, Thanks. So you, I mentioned you migrated from Pakistan at a very young age. What, how old were you when you migrated here? Um, I was two months old. So wow, my family was actually already, oh, there you go. never done this before. <laughs> um, my family was already here. And then my dad decided to take his like eight month pregnant wife to Pakistan because that's what people do. Um, and I was born there on accident. Um, and so we were there for about two months and we came back to Michigan and my family's from Detroit. I heard somebody say, like, who's from Detroit? Detroit in okay. the building. There you go. 313. So Detroit is a pretty diverse city. Yeah. Um, how, how was your experience growing up there, um, being a South Asian? Um, did, you, did you face any adversity? Was it just you're assimilated and part of, you know, the, the town and the community that you're in? How was that for you? Yeah, so I was in Detroit until I was 13 or 14 years old. Um, so I think my adolescence was there, but I feel like people always say that they're from the town that they learned how to drive in. So if somebody were to ask me where I was from, someone randomly told me that once. They're like, but where did you learn how to drive? That's where you're really from. And I actually kind of agree with that because when I was 13, 14 years old, I wasn't really going anywhere. Um, and so I moved to Ohio when I was about 13, um, learned to drive there. Um, and it was a really diverse neighborhood that I was in. Um, 
throughout high school, but when we first moved to Ohio, we moved to a very small town called Marysville. It was a rural town. My dad had gotten a new job, um, and I'd spent most of my time in Detroit growing up around um, Eastern European immigrants. So I was used to a little bit of diversity, but we moved to this really small town where there were not even any African Americans or Latinos, the regular minorities that you would see, let alone a brown family, a mom that wears a hijab, a dad with a mustache. Um, <laughs> and so it was really hard. Um, but I didn't really discover any of this identity that I feel like I've claimed right now up until the past five or six years, um, right after I graduated high school and I was able to um, be part of that scene and, and make it happen. So. Did you hold on to your, like, your culture? Did you acknowledge it? Did you embrace it while you were at home with family and stuff like that? Or was it kind of like, nah, I'm, I'm in high school here with all these, I guess, white people and I want to just want to be like that? Or did you find, was there any struggle there um, at home, at school, or were you kind of just in it? Yeah, I feel like a lot of brown kids growing up as first-generation immigrants, and I would say that I'm a first-generation immigrant even though I'm an actual immigrant because my family had been here already, and so I have the same circumstances, environment, and stories that a lot of you all have. Um, you kind of found yourselves, and I know it's not the same here in New York City where there's a plethora of different kinds of people and diversity and um, ethnicities for you guys to interact with, but like growing up in the Midwest, it was really, you had to pick an identity that wasn't yours. Um, and you didn't really know where you belong. So you weren't brown enough to be brown, but you weren't white enough to be white, and you were somewhere in the middle. Um, and so I didn't really get that opportunity up until I went to college. And so I went to Ohio State University. It was a very diverse school, and I was able to kind of recognize myself. But growing up, it was something that was very muted. I feel like we all have that story where we tried to assimilate without we, we tried to assimilate without actually assimilating, and I think I, I really discovered that when I went to college. And I think that was my formative time, especially with my art. Dope, dope. And then I, I also um, heard that you you won a pottery competition <laughs> in high school, and yes. that's what kind of kicked off your your whole art career. Yeah. Hold, hold on. You you told me you were a ceramicist. Yes. So. What is a ceramicist? Yeah, I'm okay. Unclear. Okay. So let's talk about. I feel like I'm slipping off of this, so we're gonna sit like this. <laughs> okay. Um, thick thighs. So. Yes. Actually, so so they gave you these blue chairs. Yeah. And these blue chairs look amazing. So I shout couldn't out fit in that either. So the gully for these blue chairs, but we decided to switch because we were so low. Yeah. That I felt everybody up high. Well, that's how I normally am. <laughs> I mean, all right. <laughs> so this is this is the way. If you want, you could take two of these. No, I'm and good. I'll, all right. I'm good. I'm all right. good. Well, we'll sit. You stand. <laughs> so my first introduction to art was in high school. Um, and I went into, I took a ceramics class, and ceramics is clay, and it's clay throwing, and that was kind of how I first got into what I do now. So for four years, I was super into um, throwing, and throwing is basically when you take a ball of clay, you put it on one of those spinny wheels, and then you shape it, um, and you shape it into whatever you want. It's really hard, um, and so I did that for about four years, got really, really good at it, um, and Something that I super specialized in was making teapots, uh, spouts. So if you've ever seen a teapot, the little spout where the water comes out of. Um, so I got like super into it. And one time I made this bowl and I put a bunch of different spouts on it. And I left um, my class and I see this like 
like truancy officer walk into my next class and they ask for me and I'm like holy shit I've never gotten in trouble before like what's going on I don't skip school like I'm a straight A student never like my parents would kill me so they walk me over to the principal's office and in the principal's office is my ceramics teacher and the principal and this little bowl I had made that had a bunch of different spouts on it and I'm staring at it I'm like what what's going on and the principal looks at me, he's like, you made a bong. And I was like, Shit. no, I didn't. I was like, what's a bong? Again, yeah, super sheltered. And he was like, you made a bong. Like, did you mean to make drug paraphernalia? I was like, no, I'm like really into teapots. So I made a bong on accident, um, got in a lot of trouble, but they like took my innocence as like enough of a reason and I got let go. But I did win a national teapot competition. And so... In 2008, I was the regional champ of teapots, so. Do you still have this bong? <laughs> they took it. Oh, Juicy would have asked to borrow it. <laughs> <laughs> that's for after. Um, so, uh, that's amazing. Did you have any South, like, any South Asian influences while you were creating this pottery, or is it just kind of just clay and no external just paint? clay. I feel like I want to talk a little bit about how the South Asian influences yeah. came into my art, though, because it wasn't always that way. Um, I've been on Instagram. Um, I was like one of the first seven people on Instagram. I love throwing that fact out there. They were doing like beta testing, and I was like, oh my god, I'm on here with seven other people. Just like patiently waiting for Drake to get on. <laughs> um, and so I was on there, and um, my work has, if you scroll all the way down, like some of my first like pieces are up on my Instagram from like 2009, um, and none of it's South Asian inspired. Um, and I think a lot of that came from where I live. One, but two, I didn't know that I needed representation until I needed representation. And so in um, Columbus, Ohio, it's actually known for a lot of artists, a lot of musicians. You guys know Kid Cudi. But one of my favorite artists out of Columbus, Ohio is Liechtenstein. Um, and Liechtenstein is a comic book artist um, from, I want to say, the 70s or 80s. He's German. Um, and the pop art images that you guys see like on social media when you Google image pop art is all Liechtenstein. And so he has a cartoon library at Ohio State. And so when you walk in, there's just like pop art and cartoons everywhere. And I'm like looking around, and it's all black and white, and it's really fun to look at, and it's like cool because nothing looks like pop art. Um, but I wanted, I found myself wanting to see myself in, in those images, and I think that's kind of where the inspiration sparked. So there was definitely no brown teapot, but got it. we got there. Okay, cool. So that was your aha moment, right? Yeah, that, that was, was your, aha moment. Okay, and then after that, um, do you start dabbling in painting and stuff like that? Yeah. What other mediums do you use um, to create art? So... My favorite medium that I'm trying to get back into was actually calligraphy. So when I went to Ohio State, I studied international relations and um, Arabic. And so I remember one time I was in an Arabic class and I was just like studying and you know copying stuff out of my book. And um, I found myself really into the way that I was writing. And it was, um, I found it to be therapeutic. Um, I found it to be um, poetic. I found it to be artistic. And so from there, I kind of started incorporating the calligraphy into actual images. And so that's where that illustration that you see today started from me doodling 
um, calligraphy and words into images. And so that's kind of where that came from. But that was my first love. And I'm trying to get back into it now. But can't speak any Arabic. I have a degree in it. But couldn't tell you anything. <laughs> so international studies and Arabic. Yeah. And um, obviously art. What, mm -hmm. what other professions are you currently involved in right now? I have a day job. I think that's the first thing that people are always so shocked to learn about. And I think that, one, it was strategic. People couldn't know about my first day job because I actually worked in politics. Mm. Um, so for the first five years, I worked for a U.S. senator um, on immigration policy. And I wasn't allowed to tell anybody where I, what I did or where I worked. It wasn't the FBI by any means, but you know how politics are. And so... I was very muted, um, and so everything was super separate. The art was separate from my, from my day job, and it felt like the art was separate from my life. Um, and I'm very passionate about immigration. I'm very passionate about um, immigrant rights, and I was an advocate for such a long time that it didn't really bother me. But I recently switched roles, and now I work in the corporate sector, still working on immigration issues, but have a lot more freedom to do so. Um, so it was like kind of a muting experience, um, but I learned a lot from it and I was able to focus on my art wholeheartedly, separate from that identity. Um, and I think that I was trying to find my own hyphen. So um, that's that's kind of what, what I do during the day. Cool. Yeah. So you're, you're currently what's known as uh, a slashy. A slashy. I just did the slashy summit. Shout out Brown Girl Mag. Big up. Yep. I have a day job and my art job. <laughs> Dope. I'm assuming you like the art a little bit better than the day yeah. job. Yeah. I love helping people. I'm, I'm a public servant at heart. So speaking of helping people, it's, it's interesting how we actually met. Yeah. Uh, so just a little history. A couple years ago, Avi, if you could lower that mic a little bit. Uh, a couple years ago, we were at an event, and I think Juicy and I were DJing, and uh, Khalid... Uh, who's a friend of ours, introduced us. Mm -hmm. And at that time, I think maybe we were following each other on the gram already. I know Juicy was definitely into your art at that time. Yeah. And um, literally the next day, Hafsa just sent me, I think, a DM or a text with a, with a piece of art that she drew of myself and Juicy. And she sent it to us, and I was like, wow, this shit is incredible. And my first thought, you know, in this business, you know, a lot of a lot of you in here who are in the arts, what whatever type of art you do, you know, sometimes it's 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 hard to draw the line between what's business and what you do for free and what you charge for. You've now established a budding business and it's it's sort of like in the early phases of the business, but when you when you send me that piece of art, I almost thought like how much do I got to pay you? Because that's just how I think. Yeah. And you were like, nah, like that's on, that's just for the love. Yeah. And you did that a lot. And from there, from that one piece, I remember you've, you've told me multiple times that a lot of people, specifically in New York, where New York shows you just super incredible amount of love. Yeah. From there, we started seeing you every day <laughs> on Everything, like every, every other week a flyer was coming out designed yeah. by you or a new restaurant was opening up and you were doing the art or would be DJing at a wedding and we'd see your <laughs> art on the dance floor and people yeah. dancing on top of it. How did that happen and, and how did you transition from doing art for the love to actually being able to create the business side of it? Um, that was really hard. Um, so I have been an artist for 15 years 
and I slowly started taking it seriously as a business, um, I want to say two years ago. And that was a really difficult thing for me because I didn't want, I wanted my art to be consumed freely. Um, and it was hard for me to sell it because I felt like I was parting with it. Um, but I also knew that because I was putting out work publicly, I was building a platform and it was unfair for me not to share it. Um, and so that's something that I've been really working on is letting go of ownership of things that I feel like if I put it out there, it's, not, it's no longer mine. Um, and I think at some point I decided I need to start monetizing off of it because I'm creating something that somebody wants and wants to reproduce and you know wear and, and, and hang in their home. And so coming to that realization was a really hard task for me because I was in a very fortunate position to be making money at a day job, whereas like this is you know sometimes everyone's only job. And I wanted to kind of keep giving it out for free, but it didn't make any sense when it became very large volumes of money, or I'm sorry, <laughs> of people, and, and quantity. And so I, when I started doing that, it kind of had to come from a place of understanding what is a collaboration and what deserves compensation. And collaboration for me was definitely understanding if I connect with what I'm working with. And so when I met um, Sherrod and Juicy at this event, we had a really good conversation. I learned about their podcast, learned about what they were doing for the community, and I was inspired. And so that's where the collaboration started. And so when I found a space that made sense for me to fit in, and they made sense for them to fit in with me, that's where the collaborations grew, and from their business grew. Um, so kind of finding that middle ground was difficult, but I think a lot of it just depends on who you are as a person and what your brand is. Um, and once you figure that out, it makes more sense. Um, so that's kind of where that grew from. And so I worked on several weddings. Um, those are really fun. Um, I, my work is in different restaurants. It's here in the gully. Can I just pause you for one yeah. second? There's some quick facts. So in the last about... 365 days, I would say, from like 12.31.18 until 1.1.20, yeah. you did six restaurants yeah. across two countries and three states. Yep. You did eight weddings. Yep. And you did four live appearances where you actually painted live. Yeah. So that's, that's a, a good year in review. I didn't even need my Instagram story. What happened? I didn't even need to do it on my Instagram story. You just did it for me. I mean, you year emailed those people. You emailed me those stats. <laughs> Come on, Sherrod. <laughs> well, so, but you did a lot. And every time I see you, uh, you know, on, on social, if we don't catch up on the phone or on a text, yeah. I'll always check on your page and see what's going on. And one day you're in uh, Ohio, and one day you're in, in another state, and one day you're in L.A., and then right from L.A., you're in Miami. You yeah. actually did Art Basel this year. Yeah, I did. Are you guys familiar with Art Basel? Yeah. <laughs> so tell us about that, because that, to me, is not just a place for... Uh, artists to showcase their work but it's it's a cultural hub mm -hmm. and it's a place that um i've been a couple years yeah. ago and it lacks south asian representation on a whole yeah um so tell us about that and beyond just being there mm -hmm. uh how much did that mean for the culture our culture and, yeah. and cultural impact specifically um i think my first kind of push to want to even be there was when we had this conversation in 2018 it was i think december we were talking and you you told me that you were going to art basel and i was like i haven't seen any 
South Asian representation in that art sphere ever. And I've been following Art Basel for a while. I think um, a lot of it focuses, it's, it's an event that happens in Miami the first week of December. Um, and basically artists from around the world um, come to one spot in Miami um, and show off their work. And it's always the craziest art that you've ever seen. But the space is very much dominated by um, not South Asian people. And so... It was a huge deal for me. Uh, Product of Culture, which is an organization that focuses on amplifying, amplifying South Asian voices, decided to put on um, an event. Um, and they partnered with a brown business down there as well. And they opened up their, their space, and it was a, it was a garden. Um, and they had different cabanas. And, and in each cabana was a different South Asian artist. Um, and being down there was honestly a dream come true because it's something that I'd been following for so long and I knew that it wasn't like the, a household name Art Basel is, but it was such an important thing for me because I haven't seen people who look like me and art that looks like mine in that space. Um, and I know if you guys follow me, you saw the art that I had up in Art Basel. <laughs> um, and so that was also risky. My mom wasn't very happy. Um, but, you know, she understood. <laughs> But it was honestly such an amazing thing for the culture, and I hope it continues to happen year after year because I met so many different people who aren't, weren't from South Asian backgrounds that were just amazed at the kind of art that exists in those spaces. But seeing black and brown bodies in, in the form of art was, was an experience for them as well. You touched on the fact that your mom wasn't too happy with what you displayed. <laughs> I know, everyone Basel. is so curious. Well, well, more importantly to me is what, what has been the reception... Uh, from your family, your close ones, from the time you started mm -hmm. in this art thing to now? Has perception changed? Were they supportive in the beginning? What, what does that look like for you as, as a still, in my opinion, I think Hafsa is still at the early stage. Yeah. And you're going to keep going. And, and we've seen the growth in just this year. But yeah. what, was, what was the mindset like a few years ago versus like what they're telling you now? Um, so my mom first saw my art through the calligraphy and was super excited. Super Muslim mom, loves calligraphy, was very happy about Arabic. She was like, oh my God, mashallah, you're doing amazing, sweetie. And I was like, yeah, mom, I'm here. And then now she sees my art and she's like, oh my God. <laughs> you know, one time she saw it on the back of a jacket and she was like, Hafsa, you know, people just don't come up with these things from imagination. <laughs> It's from experience. And I was like, I don't know what you're telling me, Mom. But, um, and so the reception from my parents has honestly been one of the most shocking and surprising things. I think it's not because I grew up in a household where I wasn't allowed to express myself artistically, but it was just society, right? Because art isn't viewed as a career. It's still stigmatized as not a career. It's a hobby. And so therefore, people don't believe in properly compensating you for it or let alone viewing it as a career choice. Um, and so my parents were always supportive. When it started becoming a business, my mom gave me like my first like seed money. She was like, here you go. Like You can do what you want to do with it. Just remember, you know, do everything God consciously. And I still take that to heart. Every time I make something that I feel like she would love, I always share it with her. And my parents are, I'm alhamdulillah, very blessed and to have them in my life. And um, I think that they're just watching me grow. I, I made that painting right up there in my living room with my parents. And they, when it was done, they were like, you made that? I was like, yeah, you just watched me make it. So um, I think... The success of it has been shocking. You know, my mom was at the mosque one day and like this woman came up to her and she was like, we saw your daughter's art at this restaurant downtown. My mom was like, what? 
And I think when other people recognize your success, that's when your parents start taking it seriously. <laughs> yeah, so. How's the transition into the business side of things now that you're an entrepreneur selling your art? Starting a business is really hard. So my, um, and I'm saying that now because it's tax season. So <laughs> um, yeah, I've been struggling. But um, it was honestly one of the coolest things that I've ever done. My business is an e-commerce platform. And then on top of that, I do freelance work. So I do commissions. Um, for specific projects, for restaurants, for weddings, for people. Um, and I've designed some really cool things. I designed like someone's makeup brand recently. I did like a candle. Um, it's, it's been really cool, the types of projects that I get put on. Um, but that's something that I've been doing for a while. The e-commerce platform was something that was brand new to me. And so at the Slashy Summit um, in November with Brown Girl Magazine, um, my business partner and I, I know a lot of you might know him. His name is Thunmit. He runs Roots Gear. Yeah. He couldn't be here today. But um, he definitely helped me put together um, a website that not only showcased my art, but was also um, consumable and sellable. And so learning the business aspect of the, of, of the art world has been really difficult, but also rewarding. Um, and I think that it's something that's just going to keep growing. And um, I definitely don't come from a business background. I studied politics, um, and I'm an artist. So, and it, But I learned how to do it. Like, I couldn't, I don't even know how to use Excel, but now I'm here putting together spreadsheets and... <laughs> It's, it's, I feel like it's something that anyone can do and learn and continue learning. How, how important do you feel partnerships are and strategic partnerships as well? I think that my experience with... Um, <laughs> um, partnerships are so important. I think my experience with Roots Gear was um, Thunmit reached out to me I want to say like four or five years ago when I was making art that was still on paper. Um, a lot of the work that I do now is digital, but Thunmit reached out to me when I was making art on paper and saw the potential in my work. And so building um, partnerships is really important with people who kind of have been there for a while. Longevity is important. It's not everything, but longevity in my situation is very important. Building a business is hard, especially when you do it with your friends, but in this situation it worked. Um, and I think that partnerships are important when you honestly understand the value of them and you understand how important it is to find somebody that you can work with. And so I was very lucky. Thunmit's also a Scorpio. We butt heads, but we work well. I think we need to get you a partnership with a, like an egg company. <laughs> um, a lot of you guys follow Hafsa, right? I want to understand what's this fascination that you have with <laughs> cracking yolks of eggs and, and getting this like this. This yolk. is so crazy. What's the fascination of like what's what's the vibe? Honestly, behind that? one time I was on Instagram and on my explore page, this hashtag popped up. It was called egg porn. And I was like, <laughs> what is this? Alright, so we asked the team here at the gully <laughs> to make you an egg. So this is an egg over uh, their very famous chicken tikka mac and cheese. Butter chicken mac and cheese. So this is gonna be called up. <laughs> If we get this right, this is going to be called the Hafsa Special over here at the restaurant. <laughs> yes. And it's going to sell for triple the price that the normal dish sells for. Yeah, so man. we're going to hold this up. Oh, and we man. want to make sure that... Live you... rating. All right. I just want to tell you guys what goes behind the rating. So a 10 out of 10, it's the runniness of the yolk and the cut of the egg. So you have to be theatrical and dramatic when you cut into the egg. And then when the yolk runs out, it's got to be good. Like, it's got to look borderline, like, not safe for work. So. <laughs> Yo, Razib, what are we feeling about this egg? Is this going to be nice and runny and gooey? 
cut it quick. You want a ten out of ten? We'll see. That's so right, rare. Should I hold it up, or do you want do you want to put it? You down can hold there? it up. You can hold it. All right, up. can everybody see? All right, we want to get this on your gram. So if you got a if you got a a phone out, you can definitely get a little closer and 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 gram it. Hafsa, this is scary because this is live. So if this messes up, we're all in trouble. All right, let's see what we got. Oh, wow. Look at that. Woo. I'll give you a 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10 for the gully. Look at that. It was runny. I cut it well. <laughs> <laughs> See that? Nice and yellow. Okay. It looks really good. I want to eat it. Are we going to eat that? Yeah, we're You want to bite? No, no, no. I'll wait. I'll wait. <laughs> Thank Look you, at guys. that. So if anyone was ever wondering, I get tagged in them all the time. Sometimes I get frustrated. My aunt was like, I'm going to block you if you keep posting egg yolks and I, I think it's kind of cool because it gives a different side of you a lot of us as artists like yeah. you know if you're in music you always just post your music and then people don't get to see the other sides of you if you're yeah. you're an artist that makes that makes digital art or or painting and they get to see this side of you it kind of opens up new doors for people to to kind of get into your life and see what, what the vibes are yeah the vibes are runny eggs and i i know you love like going to restaurants and, i do i love and, eating and just trying different spots in in, mm -hmm. in wherever you go yeah what's some of your favorite spots obviously besides the gully oh my god the gully love it there's a place on um in the lower east side lower east side called cacio e pepe i don't know if anyone's ever been there they throw the the noodles and the cheese wheel and oh the cheese and the cheese melts with the noodles so good there's no egg but it's really good <laughs> Yeah. So we talked a little bit about the business. We talked about your come up. Um, as your platform has grown, uh, and it's grown tremendously over the last even year, Yeah. Um, do you feel that you as an artist and now sort of this, this um, person in the community that has this, this large reach, do you feel that there's any social responsibility that you hold or, or is it something where you, you separate the two and you could just do whatever you want consistently? Um, I think it's really important and something I'm realizing very slowly. Um, I know a lot of celebrities you like, you know, look up to and see and appreciate and um, you know follow. When they mess up, um, you feel like they owe you something, right? Um, and you don't know why you feel that way. You're like, oh, I looked up to you. Like, how how dare you do that? Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and I, and, you know, I feel that way about my celebrities. Um, you know, if Seth Rogen fucked up, like, I'd be really pissed. So um, I didn't know that I was becoming that voice for a lot of people. Um, it was never my intention to. I was just somebody who was showing my art. But as I kept doing it, I started noticing that a lot of people were looking for representation of themselves within my art. And it became um, apparent that this was no longer for me. And it was my responsibility as somebody who chose to put my art out there into the public for consumption to have that social responsibility to let people see themselves in my art. Because if I wanted to be selfish with it, why would I share it? And so I found myself in a space where I was advocating and becoming a voice for a lot of people that I didn't think that I was or necessarily intended to. So a lot of it has been a struggle for me kind of letting go of ownership. And I, keep, I know I keep saying the word ownership, but it's really difficult because I have a type A personality. I love being in control. I'm a Scorpio. Um, but I like 
to, I, I really wanted to focus on the fact that even though you didn't intend to be the voice or represent so many different people, you now are, and now you have that social responsibility, whether you want it or not. And you can take that responsibility and you can be something that you didn't think that you would, or you can continue being selfish and you know doing what you want to do for yourself, but there's people out there that look up to you and there's people out there that see themselves in your work and, and want to see you grow and succeed. And, how can they not do that if they're not finding themselves in it? Be socially responsible. Socially responsible. It's a lot of pressure. It is. Yeah. <laughs> pressure makes diamonds. Yes. What's yes. next for Half and Half? Half and Half. This year is about personal growth. Mm. Um, last year, we were all in the same room, and I remember it was New Year's Eve, and I was with Thunmit, my business partner. I was with Sherrod. I was doing a live painting. Mm -hmm. You guys believed in me. I'd never done anything like that before. We came up with this crazy idea and did a glow-in-the-dark painting in the middle of a club on New Year's Eve. Which I have in my basement. And which so you have you in your that. basement. <laughs> and it worked somehow, and it was so cool. And I remember the next day, I woke up in my hotel room, very tired, but I wrote down my goals. And I looked at them in December, and I had not only achieved them, I had achieved them 10 times over. And I was like, great, what next? What do I do? Like, who's achieved all of their goals? Like, I don't even know what I want to do next. So I'm still figuring that out. Okay. So this year I didn't write down any goals. Okay. I just kind of woke up and was like, it's 2020, what happens next? So <laughs> here I am, excited. What uh, do you want your, your legacy to be? What do, you, what do you want to leave behind? And, like, and just kind of, what's your message that people should remember you by? I think because I'm a public servant and, you know, did that for a huge portion of my life and continue to do that, I didn't know art was a public service until I had so many of you guys reach out to me and tell me that it was, that I had serviced you in some way um, and that you had found yourself in, in beauty and color, in a drawing, in, in something that you wouldn't have normally seen yourself um, and I think that's where the legacy comes into. When I started blowing up on social media this past year, it was really weird because I felt like I had to respond to every single person. I was oh, like panicking every day. I was like, oh my God, this person, did, I didn't say anything to them. Do you think they hate me? Um, and it became super weird and I wasn't used to it. But um, I really forced, it really forced me to sit there and think about the fact that what kind of a legacy am I going to leave that exists outside of social media? And I think that a lot of that came from me working with different partners, it's like the gully, different restaurants, different, um, you know, like event spaces or event organizers, just like kind of like getting my name out there outside of social media, um, because I wanted to definitely leave a footprint in those areas that exist outside of the internet. Um, and so I, that was one portion of my legacy that I kind of, I'm not here to preach to you guys, but I do want to say that social media is really important to get to where you are, but what do you do when you get there? And so how are you going to find yourself in those spaces? How are you going to leave a mark in places that exist in reality and not virtually? Um, but the other thing is, I think a lot of it just comes down to why I do my art, which is representation. And I think that leaving a legacy you know, can exist by someone just getting a t-shirt or getting some merch and hanging up the art in their home. But it's also when this blueprint exists and you look at it and you see yourself in it, I think that's where the lasting impact is. Super dope. We always like to uh, end the podcast by asking for um, some words of advice for the, our young listeners. So if there's anything that you could leave for them today, what would that be? 
to live in the present. I am an overthinker who lives in the past and the future. And I think this past year, um, I learned to keep up with the industry. I learned to keep up with my art. I learned to keep up with what the world was doing. And I, was, I felt myself slowing down. And people always say, your art is relevant and makes sense with what's happening right now. How do you do that? And I think a lot of that came from living in the present, understanding what's happening right now. And so that's my, my two cents. Perfect. Give it up for Huffs, everybody. Let's hear it for you. Thank you. I want to point out one thing. Um, I'm a father of two children. My youngest uh, is a girl. She's, she's going to be three, my daughter Naya. And Juicy, my brother, my business partner, he just had a baby as well. And yes. yes thank you. Baby girl, two months old. Thank you. Re reason why I kind of just wanted to state that is because when we were growing up in America, we were growing up as New Yorkers, we didn't have... Uh, South Asian artists at all to look at that were that were here with us, and so now when when our kids like go to their art room downstairs, they get to see your work and they get to hear like Taizu's music instead of just hearing, you know Drake or Jay Z. Mm -hmm. They get to hear our, people from our own community, and I think what you guys are doing, uh, all artists across the spectrum of the arts, is nothing short of incredible. Us as the Butter Chicken Boys will forever support what you do. Uh, we will support our community wholeheartedly. And we love the fact that so many young people come out and support all these events we do and support the podcast by listening and support by liking, commenting, sharing, and also purchasing uh, our art and our, our music. And it just feels really good. So give it up for yourselves, New York City. Thank you so much. Um, Hafsa, would you mind answering a few questions if some of the audience yeah. has, has some questions? Does anybody uh, here have any questions for Hafsa? We got one. Anybody else? We're going to do three. Two. You can okay, stand so up and come she's up. two. One. Two. Anybody, anybody else? else? Yeah, you can come up. Okay. So we'll go, we'll go this side first? Yeah. Okay, cool. Come on up. Come on up. Tell us your name. What hood you from? Hold on one second. I love that outfit. Yeah. You rock it. Fire. Hold on. Uh, you got it. It looks queen. It looks like you're from Queens, but I don't know. From Queens. Queens. <laughs> from Jamaica. Queens got the money. Hello. I'm from Jamaica. My name is Nova. Hi, Nova. Hello. So um, some of your pieces are a bit more like provocative, mm -hmm. and I know that like in our culture, being so open about those things are. Like looked at as very bad and taboo. Yeah. So what pushed you to um, kind of push past that stigma mm -hmm. around like romance and like sexual like yeah. relationships and stuff? Like what pushed you to just say like, yo, I don't care. This is actually what <laughs> I still care. <laughs> like I my grandma hasn't care. seen it, you know. But um, I don't know. Like what just made you feel like no, this is something I want to do and like. I'm just going to put it out there. I don't care what people think. It's so risky. I, I know you guys have probably seen some of the captions. There's this one friend I have who will always comment on it and say, delete this. Um, <laughs> and he does it for my mom. And then every time I'm about to post something, I get like text messages from my closest friends. They're like, are you sure you wanted to do that? And I was like, eh, I did. Um, but two things. So one, um, I am a lover and romance is important to me. 
Um, and I have seen so many gross erotic paintings in like museums and stuff where it's like some really pasty person and like they're bent over and like right. you can see everything and it's gross or like you see a really tiny penis on a Greek statue and it's like, eh, what is this? Um, and so I kind of wanted to recapture art in a sexy way and in a way that it made you see yourself in it. The funniest part about it is every time I post something, you know, two or three people end up like tagging their significant other and having like a conversation conversation on it and you get to experience other people's love and their romance and their spiciness so many people have dm'd those paintings to other people and like sent me screenshots and they've been like i got some because of you <laughs> um and you know that kept me going <laughs> um and so i think pushing past the stigma was really difficult because again my mom saw it and she wasn't happy um but she still supports me and loves me, and I'm very fortunate to have parents like that, but that's not the case for everybody. Um, and so it took a lot of bravery. I'm still not. There are so many pieces that I have in my head that I want to put on paper, but I won't because I'm afraid. Um, but I think a lot of it has to come through pushing barriers where you, you feel like you're not going to get anywhere unless you break boundaries, right. and that's a boundary that I've been trying to break. Right. Yeah. I live for those pieces, by the way. Thanks. So. Thanks, babe. I appreciate it. Thank you for your question. Tell us your name and where you're from. Hi, my name is Arij. I'm from the Bronx. Um, <laughs> yeah. BX. <laughs> Who's from Ohio? You guys are. Oh, yeah. yeah. Ohio! Just hold it a little closer. Yeah, so, um, you know, I hear you talking about servant leadership and social responsibility, and that's very clear from your art, you know. Um, but my question is, as an artist and somebody who has a day job and you're so involved on so many mediums, how do you practice good mental hygiene? Because I feel like it can be very taxing, especially emotionally, mm -hmm. and um, very overwhelming, especially because, you know, you're talking about what's collaboration and what's compensation. So how are you taking care of yourself and making sure you're not doing... You know, not, not that you can never it. do too much for your community, but I feel like I'm like that yeah. as a servant leader. But um, it just becomes a little difficult. So how do you deal with that? It's really hard. Um, you know, when we put together events like this, they're self-funded. So, like, you guys, like, I, I love you guys. I gave you T-shirts, but that came out of my pocket, you know? And so you have to... <laughs> so, now, I'm not saying you have to thank me, but, um, you know, if you post it up, like, you know, tag me. Um, I think that... It's hard. People tell me all the time that when I first started doing this that you were getting taken advantage of, that you, especially as a woman in the industry, that you were doing too many favors. You were doing things for free too often. Um, there were, it looked like there were more collaborations and compensation. Um, and I think a lot of it didn't come, it came from a place of not understanding the worth of what you were putting out there. Um, and so practicing good mental health comes from your community. I spent the last year... Um, I know you guys saw a lot of work from me, but I want to say like maybe February to like August, I was in isolation mode and I lost a lot of people. Um, you know, I lost a significant other because of it. I lost friends because of it. Um, I tested my friends and family's patience because of it. And it was not good. It wasn't a good feeling. And it's, that's not the pretty side of it, right? Um, so... I worked my ass off and I, and I found myself in grind mode, but when I came out of grind mode, I was like, if I didn't have this foundation that already existed, I wouldn't have anything. So what's the point of like getting somewhere when you don't have people to share it with? And so that taught me a lot about valuing the relationships that I had and understanding that you need to be present in both aspects of your life. So it's still something I'm working on. Thanks, guys.
Thank you for your questions. We got time for one more. Does anybody else have Trisha? Trisha. Oh, snap. Oh, Trisha. Okay. I don't, I don't get a mic? You get a mic, of course. <laughs> Hi, guys. I'm Trisha uh, from Queens. Yes. Down the block, actually, and I was still late, so yeah. <laughs> so I've, I've actually been curious about this. Tell me about your process. Is it, do you paint all in one sitting? Do you take turns? Like, where does the inspiration and come from and what does the process look like? You guys have been seeing my post about my hand, right? <laughs> um, I appreciate everyone checking up on me. I have carpal tunnel because of it. Um, so that means that I'm somebody who sits there and will start and not get up until I finish, um, which is, I feel like, part of my personality, but it's definitely not healthy anymore because my hand is breaking. And like, when, I didn't realize how important your hands were until like one day I had like a cast on it. I was like, I can't do anything. Like, let alone dry, I can't eat. Um, and so... I was, um, I, I've been taking more frequent breaks, but the process definitely is like streamlined tunnel vision for me. I feel like a lot of you guys have probably found yourself, like if you're writing a piece or if you're, you know, like painting something or if you're recording something, you're recording music, you find yourself just doing it for like three, four hours straight and you're like, where did the time go? Where did the sun go? Um, and I think that that is not necessarily the healthiest, but it's how I get results. And so that's how I get things done really fast. Um, but I wouldn't encourage it. <laughs> but the process, um, a lot of my inspiration just comes from people and women, women especially. And um, I think that those two things are very important to me. And that's how I do it. Thanks. New York City, one more time for our girl Half and Half. Yep. Thank you. Thanks, real, everyone. Real quick, if we could, I'm going to pan this camera around the room. If you guys could just make as much noise as you can for my girl half and half one more time on three. One, two, three. This is, this is the Butter Chicken Podcast with half and half. DJ Sherrod, DJ Juicy, The Gully, NYC. Brown and of Mag. course, Brown Girl Magazine. Shout out to our team. Shout out to everybody behind the scenes. We got a bunch of... Uh, content creators and our and our AV team as well. Thank you guys so much. One more time, guys. Give it up for yourselves out here. Thank you so much, guys. Can I request a song, Uzi? You got something lined up? All on my own. Oh, you want to you want to request some? <laughs> nah, nah, nah it's okay. All right, we'll do my song then. Yeah, we'll do yours. <laughs> All on my own. Make some noise for the Gully one time, please. We are we are the Butter Chicken Podcast. Follow us on all platforms. And while we play this song. Real quick, um, what we like to do when we do these live podcasts is get a group picture of the entire squad that's here. So our boy Jay Verma, Verma Photography, is going to help direct the flow.